You are listening to the 90 Days Later podcast with me, Anna Charles. This is episode number 18. Welcome to the 90 Days Later podcast, where I show you how to stop over drinking in 90 days without missing out on life. If you're not an alcoholic, but fed up with saying yes to a drink when you mean to say no, you're in the right place. Hello, everybody. Okay, here we go. How to change your drinking habit. It's the topic I have decided on today. So we're going to talk about how to change your habit and really what to expect from the process as you go through the process of doing this. But first I want to clarify that I'm talking about a habit not addiction. Now when does a habit turn into an addiction? Well I would say there's no bright line right there's no rule of it exactly when it happens but For the purposes of this podcast and my work in general, I think it's important to note that the vast majority of people who want to change their drinking or who want to drink less or even stop entirely aren't addicted. You know, they're not looking to escape withdrawal symptoms like tremors or shakes or nausea. They're simply questioning their drinking habits and questioning the role that alcohol was started to play in their life and making decisions around that. Now, if you are in a case where you are actually drinking to avoid withdrawal symptoms or if you believe in it, indeed that you are addicted, you can still learn a lot from everything I'm going to teach today and in fact across my podcast episodes, but I would say please don't ever attempt to stop drinking unless you're under medical supervision. Okay, so like I said, today I'm using the context of drinking as a habit because that is the situation that is is true and relevant for so many of my clients. The kind of people I help and work with are those who may be frankly in a bit of a tizzy about alcohol. For example, where you feel like in some ways you're drinking against your will, right? To some extent you you go into the kitchen and then you find yourself drinking a glass of wine even five minutes earlier that hadn't really been on your mind, hadn't been a goal of yours at all. Now, this can be frustrating for people who, for instance, feel that they're very intelligent, they're very smart, very in control of their lives. They hold down a job, they have a family, a nice circle of friends, and they don't feel that they have this huge problem with alcohol. And yet, and yet, despite all of that, they just can't quite get a hold of this drinking thing. Or it could be that you drink a little more than that even. Perhaps you're drinking five or six glasses of wine a night and you're having hangovers and you're swearing to yourself, you won't ever do that again. Never, ever, ever going to put yourself in that situation ever. And then the next day or maybe you know, in a couple of days time, there you get to the point where you find yourself in the exact same process, doing the exact same thing, the thing that you swore you never would do. This can make us feel stupid, right? But it isn't that at all. I mean, rest your, rest, put your mind at rest. That is not the case at all, and I'm gonna tell you why. Back in the day, I knew this drink, swearing off drinking, then drinking, despite what you said, cycle very well. To, for context, you know, I never had a huge problem. I'd never drink to oblivion or anything like that. But I'd drink, and I'd wake up feeling groggy, and I'd think things like, what, again? Now, this is such a bore. I never want to feel like this again, ever. 
And so in that moment, I would decide. I would decide I wasn't going to do that again. I wasn't going to drink again like I did. But then by the time the evening came around, especially if it had been a bit of a difficult day, I'd be like, ah, go on, I'll just have one glass. Go on, pour me a glass. And I'd go through the whole thing again. I'd repeat the same cycle. And it was a frustrating and it was so annoying. In fact, it was more annoying than anything else. But if you're in this situation, perhaps like me, you will find that it isn't obvious where to go for help. And this is something I feel so passionately about because this not being able to find the appropriate help is holding so many people back. Because even today, and I've been doing this work for a couple of years now, but even today, if you go online and you type something like, I mean, am I drinking too much? Most of the results that you'll get back through the search engines will be along the lines of, if you think you're drinking more than you want to be drinking, you're an alcoholic and you probably need treatment and you need to go into recovery and, you know, here are all the addiction centers. But I would look at this stuff and I would know that this wasn't true for me. I just knew it wasn't true for me. I knew I didn't need to go to meetings. I didn't need to declare myself powerless in the face of alcohol. None of that because I knew I didn't have an addiction. And so for people like I was, our options for help are actually very limited. Because in society, we tend to think of there being two types of drinker, alcoholics, so those who need to go into treatment and everyone else who drinks normally and therefore needs no help. But if you're one of the millions of people who kind of sits between these two polar opposites, it can be very tricky. And it can, a lot of people actually hold back for asking for help and putting their hand up because they don't want to be labeled. They don't want to admit they're struggling and they don't want to be stigmatized. Because, of course, it's expected that you're able to quote-unquote drink normally. And if you don't, well, you're an alcoholic. It's just not an equation that works for so many people. Now, none of this, of course, is helped by the fact that many people who are struggling, they kind of hide in plain sight. They hide from their friends and their family. And we do this by glamorizing and even joking about all the almost excessive drinking in society, right? We have things like gin o'clock, any time is wine time. You go to buy a birthday card for a woman and your daughter, friend, whatever. And many, many, many of them will be about alcohol and drinking too much. And so we kind of build this up. Again, we, we normalize this. And even if we're struggling, we kind of build up this sense of camaraderie around it. So we're feeling, you know, when I might be struggling, but I know I'm not the only one. I mean, no one's putting their hand up and neither am I, but, but it, it's, it's there. You know, we're all kind of in this drinking pot together and this isn't comfortable, right? It isn't comfortable to sit there with this silent struggle, but maybe it's the same for everyone, right? So, you know, we're all in this together. But then what happens when all this happens is that that if you, you don't get help. So if you want to get help, if you really would like to change, you don't get help, the help you need. And then perhaps you have a go at cutting back on your own or you have a go at quitting on your own. You're trying a few things and then you don't succeed. People often don't succeed to start with. And then you make this mean something very negative about yourself. I see people do this all the time. They make it mean that there's something wrong with them because they tried to do something about their drinking and they didn't succeed 
and notwithstanding the fact that everyone else around them seems to be handling it, thank you very much. So, you know, what is wrong with them? But this kind of thinking, right, that there must be something wrong, this only perpetuates the problem because then you end up, if you you think you want to cut back, so you have a go, you don't succeed, you think you, there must be something wrong with you, this ends up just making you feel stressed and more anxious at not being able to cut back. You, know, you kind of make it a thing uh, that you're not able to do. And this, in turn, makes you feel the need for more relief from this anxiety and these, these terrible feelings you're having about yourself. And the way you achieve that relief is by, drumroll, drinking. So you end up wanting alcohol more. It actually compounds the problem. Now, if this sounds like you, I just want to pause for a moment and say you are not alone. There are millions of people just like you struggling in the same way, only they're not willing to talk about it. But I am. I'm on your side and I can help. And that's really behind you know the goal behind my work and and especially these podcasts where I want to meet and reach more people than the people I work with one on one. You are not alone. So I said at the top of the podcast, I was going to treating this as a habit, right? And what is a habit? So first I'm going to talk about why you have the habit. And it is simple. It's a simple, simple reason. And please, please believe me on this. It's simply because you've taught yourself to desire alcohol. At the base of the habit sits desire. You want the drink. You want the drink because you've taught yourself to want the drink. When we drink, what happens is we get a super hit of reward, a feel-good feeling from the alcohol. It gives our brain a super reward. And this makes our brain sit up and take notice, right? It feels so good. This must be important. And this is all to do with evolution. I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of it. I will cover that in other elements of my podcast, but it's all to do with our evolution as a species. And what happens is that when we drink, when we get such a large dopamine hit, right, so much pleasure just floods our brain, this compels us to want to do it again. And so you do. You repeat the action of drinking. It feels good. You want to do it again. So you do it again. You feel good. Your brain is flooded with desire and pleasure. You want to do it again and you do. So we go through the repeat again and again and again. And when you repeat something, and when you repeat anything, whether it's riding a bike, doing a maths exam, knitting, playing snooker, drinking, all of it, when you repeat anything, you get better at it. And you might not even recognize you're getting, it's something you're getting better at, but you do. And with drink, if you practice it enough times, and if you get rewarded enough times, right, you get that flood of pleasure from the dopamine that hits your brains, then drinking becomes natural and habitual. And it's just something you now do. Because as humans, we are driven to want to seek pleasure, right? So we want to do the things that make us feel good. So that means in its most basic form that whenever you see a glass of whiskey, if that's your drink or perhaps a, a crisp shabby on a summer's day or a beer, you're going to feel that desire. And it's going to feel like it's coming to you from somewhere unconscious, right? It's just, just coming to you. It's going to seem involuntary, but actually it's not at all. 
You're having that desire because you've programmed this in your mind. It's just like if someone shouts catch, you'd put out your hands and catch the ball. So drinking is something you've learned and when you practice something enough, it just becomes an automatic response. That's it. Now all of that means that nothing has gone wrong. This is something I talk about with so many people. Many of us think that this desire to drink is caused by something about us, right? It's just that we're inherently bad. There's something wrong with us. It's all to do with our upbringing or the way we approach things or the fact that, you know, we always give in or we're lazy or whatever it is or that we're insatiable. And I want to say to all of that, no, 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 no. It's only that you've learned to desire something, as I said just now, and that your brain thinks it's important, right? We're all capable of it and that's it. This means you don't have to beat yourself up about it. You don't have to get really upset about your drinking. You don't have to you go on and on about how you're useless. You just have to be willing to put up the sleeves and do the work and unpick the habit. This is powerful. This knowledge is powerful. And I hope and I want this to be reassuring to you. It was incredibly reassuring to me. When you understand that nothing is taking over, right? You're not having some alien life force that is making you propel your arm to pick up that glass and that the only thing that's happened that you've trained your brain to desire something automatically it can give a great sense of freedom right you can see how you're going to unpick the habit so this is what happens that when you see that glass or you get that trigger time or you you're having a triggering thought so you know it's six o'clock oh my god it's wine time thank goodness i love the evenings where's the wine oh i really need a drink i'm so looking forward to this when you have all these thoughts hitting you, you're going to, of course, want to desire that drink. Now, we call this an urge or we call it a craving because the sensation that then comes over you can feel really powerful. But really, all that's happening at its most basic is that the desire we've taught ourselves to feel is being triggered. That's it. So here are the four things you can expect when you start to unwind your drinking habit. And these are things I cover because I, I really do believe in the forewarned is forearmed, right? If you can prepare ahead for these and expect them, then you know, you'll know that it's not just you because my friend, it is not. So the first thing to expect is the desire. The desire will come and it's going to produce urges. And the desire to drink is going to come even if you tell yourself, I am never drinking again. Just expect it's going to come and you're going to want to drink. For me, knowing the desire is going to be there, that it will come and there'll be no surprise, that really helped because it means you won't be in a position where you won't know what's happening, right? You'll think, okay, yeah, Anna said this would happen. I'm going to feel the desire even if I'm saying I don't want to drink. Okay, nothing has gone wrong. So the second thing related to the desire point is to expect conflicted thoughts, right? So I would go out, have a couple of drinks and I could feel awful after just a couple of drinks. And I'd say things like never again. And yet that very evening, that very evening, I would find myself looking forward to the evening to the point when I could uncork the wine and go out, to, you know, on a maybe it's a Friday night, go out to a bar, go out and have a drink. And it was so confusing. I had these two thoughts in my head, right? I'm never drinking again. And my goodness, that looks so good. It was such a level of conflict because while I didn't really want to drink so much, the closer I got to the evening, my desire and those thoughts would appear. 
So again, to expect that, expect that you will feel conflicted on top of having the desire. Next, I want you to expect the sneaky thoughts. So good, be aware of these. And when you start along the process of trying to cut back your drinking, you're gonna probably find, that's, that's when these sneaky thoughts will start to show their faces. And it tends to happen when you start to find yourself justifying things justifying your drinking or justifying your overdrinking, And the thoughts are sneaky, I call them sneaky because on the surface they seem quite harmless. Oh, it's just one. One doesn't matter. God, it's no big deal. So you said you drink two and now you're having a third. What's the big deal? Come on, everyone drinks. It's not like you're drinking the whole bottle, it's just a glass. Those kind of thoughts. But what we don't realize at the time is that making these justifications, having these tiny little sneaky thoughts, trying to make ourselves feel okay about the action we're taking to drink, even though we swore blind a few hours ago we weren't going to do that. These justifications are perpetuating the process of drinking because we're giving ourselves so many more thoughts and beliefs that tell us it's okay it's not that big a deal to drink, right? It's becoming more and more, it's all right to do this. And all of these thoughts are creating additional desire, which makes you feel even more like you want to drink, and so therefore you make, you're feeling more out of control, right? The, the side of you that is saying it's okay to drink is just getting stronger and stronger. Finally, I want you to expect changing the habit of drinking to take effort. Right? You can't just sit there, I talk a lot about mind work and how you're feeling about things and how you're thinking about things and how that drives your action and absolutely that underscores everything I do. But you can't sit and manifest or you know, mindset your way out of over drinking. You have to take action too. But there's taking action in a way that's gonna get you to your goal and there's sort of just sort of running around and I'll talk about headless chickens, but you get the idea where you sort of go from one thing to another and you don't make forward progress because you never get to forward momentum. So I, the work I do with my clients is based around my coaching framework. I keep it really simple. This is not complicated stuff. My framework has three pillars, intention, courage, commitment, and against this backdrop, I use this framework to help my clients change and rewire their drinking habits so they stop over drinking in 90 days. And that's permanent change, by the way, right? That's not just something like a 90 day break, that's achieving whatever they want for the rest of their lives. And the habit change process is very simple. First, you decide on purpose what you're going to drink. This is the intention piece of the framework. And then you drink only that. Now, whether it's you say, I'm not going to drink anything tonight, and then you don't drink anything that night, or whether you're going to drink two glasses, and then you only drink two glasses. You know, I'm, I'm, never, I'm not about you have to become sober. This is all about being able to fulfill and drink what you say you will with ease. Now, this on the surface sounds mega super obvious. <laughs> You, you, some of you are going to want to just say, I'm going to stroll on by. I mean, you know, of course, if you say you're going to do something, that's what you want to do. You decide and then you do it. But if you're anything like me with this drinking thing, this was much more challenging than just deciding. And I'm pretty successful at most things I do. 
but it was so much harder with drinking. So I make a, there's a whole piece, a whole module around this idea of, of the importance of intention. And following on from that, this is why I also then work with my clients on strengthening their courage muscle. This is the second pillar of my coaching framework, which means that instead of deciding to go from drinking a bottle a night to nothing, or even two glasses a night to nothing, I teach my clients how to use their thoughts and their emotions to change how they react to alcohol, right? So we don't have to kind of do this cold turkey thing and then ah, a few days later, this is never going to work. No, no, we look more about what's going on behind the scenes, how we're thinking about this, how we're thinking about the desire, how we're reacting to the desire so that we unpick the habit, you know, from its core. And this is really where the magic starts to happen. Because when you really start to understand why you're doing something or why you're not doing something, then you start to understand the thought and the feeling that's driving that behavior. And when you decide to change that thought pattern and change that feeling pattern, you are able to change the actions so much more easily. As an example of this, I always like to think about all the books out there about the habits of successful people you know whether success in business or success I don't know in acting whatever and these these are seven typical habits these books fly off the shelves but trying to adopt someone else's habits without adjusting your own thoughts and attitude is I think a little bit like buying a designer dress in an attempt to look like a model on the catwalk you know it doesn't work there's underpinning work that has to be done here And then from this position of courage, when you are looking at and modifying your thoughts and emotions, you can take action and you'll take new action and different action from this new position. And this is the commitment pillar of my coaching framework where we work on exercises and tools in this area. Understanding your triggers, feeling your way through the thoughts and feelings that ignite your desire without you reacting to it and then doing this enough time so that you've let the habit lapse well that's what it's all about it's about doing the work time and time again and you might be thinking oh my god this is so tedious this is going to take so much work this is so much effort so much time and that's part of the problem because you see your brain is trying to convince you to not do this your brain wants to be efficient it wants to do what's already been learned and what's already been programmed and that's when you get to right 6 p.m you drink at 6 p.m we do the drinking program it's so much better for the brain to continue with that than going through this effort to learn how to feel an urge and then planning what you're going to drink and then looking out for the sneaky thoughts and all this other stuff i've been telling you that all just seems way too much work even though we know it isn't so let me give you an example outside of this so this is exactly i think what happens when for instance you buy a kitchen appliance that has loads of new features and let's say it's a mixer you buy a mixer you have an old mixer that's got three settings and that's it and then your new one has got five settings and it can also chop and it can also blend stuff as well right now maybe you bought the new one because you want to use the five new the five settings and maybe you want to do a bit of of blending as well and you know you want to use the chopping bit of, of ability of it and you see the chopping blades you think mm, that would be good I mean the, the videos and so on the training videos look good but you know it's going to be a lot of effort you're going to have to get all those blades out you're going to, have to figure which one is for which and is that for onions is that for carrots whatever and then there's all the cleaning and how does it really work and oh it just you know 
it's too much aggro, it's too much effort, I can just carry on using my trusty kitchen knife. Now, you didn't buy the mixer for the chopping facility anyway, right? So you think, well, it's okay, I'm justifying, I didn't actually want that. But in fact, if you were to take the time to learn that new chopping functionality with those blades, it would possibly bring you more time savings and maybe you'll be able to do more things and actually maybe you might really enjoy it. But in the moment when you're faced with having to learn all this new stuff, it can just seem like way too much effort. And then you put it off for another time. I'll do that next time. I'll do it when I've got, you know, spare 10 minutes. And lo and behold, you never do. And so this is just the brain in action. The brain is going to prefer that you drink automatically at six o'clock or when you're at the friends or whatever your triggers are, than putting in all this work, right? But that doesn't mean you can't. It doesn't mean that you can't do the work and it doesn't mean that it's not worth doing because it really is. Because when you put in the work and you learn how to do this and it's just a case of repeat again and again and again and again. Repeat, learn, repeat, learn, repeat, learn. And I will tell you, this all actually happens a lot more quickly than you imagine. I unpicked my drinking habit far, far, far quicker than it took to actually get into that drinking habit in the first place. So you're faced with this question, do you go ahead and change your drinking? Now, when I tell my, what I like to tell my clients is that it's actually simple for them to stop over drinking. And it is simple for you too, if you're listening to this. I will provide the entire foundation of what you need to actually drink less. And that piece is simple. Now, it may not be easy, Right? Like I said above, it does require work, but with the right support from me, I'm telling you, this is not difficult. Now, when people first come to me, often they come with their situation, right? And they come with a list of all the things they've tried, all the things that haven't worked, all the reasons why it hasn't worked for them before, and all the doubt they feel about ever being able to change their drinking habit. Here's something I tell them and here's something I want you to think about if that sounds like you as well. Once you unlearn desire and you practiced it, you get really good at it, it becomes automatic. And then this automatic undesiring of alcohol means that your brain is going to go and create that result for you. It's not going to desire alcohol as effortlessly as it is currently creating desire for you. In other words, by doing this work and by taking action again and again and again and practicing again and again and again, by deciding what you'll drink, learning to feel your way through all the emotions that come up, and by committing to yourself again and again, eventually it will become so automatic, you won't have to think about it. Right? It's just I say to people, like if you drive to work, always drive the same route to work, you know, sometimes you get to work and you think, for heaven's sake, I have no idea how I got here. Right? It was a 20 minute journey, completely, I have no idea where I was. Right? Once you know how to not desire alcohol, you will know it forever. You will know how to not desire alcohol forever. And that is my guarantee to each of my clients. It is the thing that brings them total freedom around alcohol. And one of the most amazing gifts you can give yourself so thank you so much for listening. I do hope this has helped you. If you have a situation where you think you're over drinking and you're looking for help, you're not an alcoholic, but you know that what you're doing doesn't feel comfortable and doesn't feel what you want to continue with, I can help. 
So go ahead and message me. You can email me Anna, A-N-N-A, at 90dayslater.co. What I'll do is I'll set up a call or chat about your situation. I'll give you that plan. I'll build for you a customized plan and the entire foundation you need to change your over drinking habit. And it's going to be simple. And you'll get it done in 90 days. Imagine that. So what are we now? February. You know, for just after Easter, free of, free of the, the treadmill that you've been on. It's so good. And I do encourage you to do it. Okay, that's me done for this week. And I'll see you next time. If you like what you're learning in the podcast and you want to take the work further and achieve total freedom around alcohol, let's talk. I help my clients stop reaching for that first glass of wine the moment 6pm rolls around and they don't miss out on life. And we do it in 90 days. The effect is permanent. Email me for more information on anna at 90dayslater.co. And if you did enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd leave a rating and review to help others find the 90 Days Later podcast.